Welcome to the podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. I am Maria Lee from the global network WOCAN, Women Organizing for Change in Agriculture and Natural Resource Management. The current global crisis presents a unique opportunity to put climate resilience at the center of the conversation around what is important and how to build a better future for all. The solutions to build resilience to crisis are linked to the preservation of our Earth's resources and the stewardship of these. In this podcast series, we will be sharing 10 solutions for a climate resilient post-recovery through conversations with international thought leaders. Joining me today on this episode is Kathy Lee, the Managing Director of Lee International, a consulting firm that provides legal, regulatory, and advisory services to clients around the world to help them mitigate and adapt to the impacts of climate change. Kathy is also an attorney with 39 years of legal experience and 35 of them in the energy and environment sectors. She has acted as legal advisor to landfill gas CDM projects in South Africa. In the US, she has worked on the development of carbon programs, including the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, and has served as carbon advisor for several states, supporting them in the development of programs to measure and monetize carbon credits. She is also an advocate for climate projects to do more for including and supporting women. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning. Thank you for accepting uh, this uh, invitation. When we thought about this podcast series, we purposely wanted to connect climate and gender issues. And this is one of the reasons why we talk about a feminist approach. What does it mean for you to take a feminist approach to the, the recovery and to building a different future? That's very interesting that you talk about bringing these two worlds together of feminism and climate when we talk about the recovery. To to me, a feminist approach means one that takes into account that we are living with systemic and institutionalized sexism. And so any approach that could be considered a feminist approach needs to incorporate into recovery policies and strategies, actions that can help to end that. And to be very concrete, for example, it means strategies in setting priorities and developing action plans need to be listening to women on the ground who know what their communities need and and who know as those needs change. That's that's a very good point. Um, now let's go deeper into the, the topic of today's conversation. Um, in the last weeks, governments and institutions have been designing recovery strategies with unprecedented levels of funding. But there's still uncertainty and many debates around what these strategies should exactly look like to contribute to a sustainable, climate-resilient world that leaves no one behind. And recently, the Stockholm Environment Institute 
indicated that only 2.2% of all of the global pandemic stimulus spending has been allocated to green policies. So what do you see as the risks, challenges and opportunities for funders and decision makers to assure that funds will indeed support climate smart and inclusive initiatives? I think you put your finger on the primary risk in quoting that information from the Stockholm Institute. I think the primary risk that we're facing is that funders and decision makers will see that their goal is simply to return to the status quo. And that's just not good enough. Even before COVID, there was a persistent and pervasive shortage of action and attention to activities that benefit women and address their needs. Before COVID, government all over the world, development agencies, investors, were funding women's empowerment and gender equality, but relying on assertions from those seeking funds that their projects will increase women's rights. But what was often lacking, and this is before, is any kind of robust means of measuring the outcomes from these investments to confirm these assertions. Even before, again, in the case of the impact on women, even before COVID, women's organizations lacked funding, leaving them with significant untapped potential to address climate change, food security, domestic violence, poverty, and other issues. And it's well documented, for example, around the world that during this pandemic, that levels of violence against women and girls have increased with all the shutdowns. And, and if this fact, isn't recognized and reflected in these recovery policies, then many more women will be at serious risk. So my point is that as governments and institutions make decisions about strategies, how much to invest, what to invest in, they, they simply cannot accept, should not accept that bogus argument that we can't afford to address these issues, including climate change, because we're in such dire economic straits. So I think the, the challenge, so those are some of the risks. I think the challenge is that right now, we're seeing all around us that the pandemic is intensifying and compounding the existing social inequalities, the existing refusal to address climate change effectively. And so, any policies and strategies need to take in a, into account that those existing inequalities based on gender, based on race, based on ethnicity and so on, um, are out there and intensified. And so we cannot return to the status quo. You know, the, the, the issue I've heard so many times and read in the last two months, people saying we can't afford to incorporate green policies or climate policies. It's just too expensive. But I just read a quote recently from Rachel Kite, a former UN climate official, and now the Dean of the Fletcher School at uh, Tufts University. And she said it well, when she said, if the necessary climate action can be embedded in recovery efforts, then this year will have been a year when we pivoted for good. 
But if we're distracted from climate and fumble in the recovery, we will have pivoted to an even darker place. And I, I think that's really true. Um, on, on the question of opportunities, there are opportunities. They're all around us. And we really need to seize them. There's an opportunity to begin the transition to an economy that better values the work that we know is essential to sustaining us and recognizes and rewards the people who do that essential work. You know, we only have to look around us to see that women all over the world continue to constitute a majority of those people who are on the front lines fighting the pandemic. They're continuing to care for family, provide food, do whatever they can to mitigate the devastating impacts. Funders and decision makers, I think, right now have a singular opportunity to mobilize their capital so that it introduces or supports positive structural changes that benefit and empower women and bring these two worlds of women and effect on women and climate change together. Thank you. Well, I hope those messages reach the decision makers and, and, and the funders that will be listening to us. And as you said, there, there are some great opportunities and already some interesting initiatives that uh, we see are coming up in this transition. And, and I was reading about one of them, which was launched in um, April by the C40 Cities Network, which is a, a global network of, of mayors. Um, they recently published a statement of principles in which they commit to putting greater equality and climate resilience at the heart of their recovery plans. But again, the question, and you also uh, touch on that, is around accountability and how we measure progress and, and impact. Um, and you have been in, in the carbon trading world for many years and also advising many people on, on climate change issues. Can you share with us um, what you have seen in terms of mechanism and, and uh, standard that can assure this accountability and provides certainty that we're going in the right direction in terms of building climate resilience in ways that are also gender responsive? Yeah. You know, this is a stubborn problem. Uh, carbon markets, for example, have continued to activate millions and millions of dollars through buying and selling of greenhouse gas emission reductions, often referred to as carbon credits. But these markets have consistently failed women. Even though many of the projects that are generating these emission reductions and result in selling carbon credits depend on women for their implementation. Women have historically not been paid for their work that is helping to generate these carbon credits. Some carbon standards, I will say, have recently begun to recognize that projects, climate projects, can be women-friendly, but they just don't go far enough. And this is an issue that I'm very concerned about and have been, so I'm always looking and watching for the standard, the opportunity to incorporate benefits to women in these projects. We need more standards that go beyond do no harm to women. We need standards that measure in a transparent way whether women are benefiting from development projects and climate projects. 
And there is one standard that has been around for over five years, but I only discovered probably three or four years ago that I believe is still in a class by itself. And that standard is called W+. It was developed by Wokan in 2015, and it's applicable to new carbon projects or development projects or existing carbon projects. And it quantifies, monitors, measures, and audits women's empowerment at the project level while ensuring by the way the standard operates and its requirements that financial value goes to the women who are involved in these projects. So what it does is it produces quantified women benefit units, just like carbon credits, these are units, but they signify benefit to women and they contribute towards achieving the sustainable development goals, climate finance and corporate social responsibility goals. The W plus standard measures the impact on women of any project in six different what they call domains or areas. It measures the impact on women in terms of time saved, in terms of impact on income and assets, in terms of health, leadership, education and knowledge, and food security. So a W plus unit that gets generated is a quantified and realized improvement in a woman's life. And in addition to measuring those important areas, it requires that at least 20% of the value of the W plus units that are sold must be returned to the women involved in the project or the project community. And it's up to those women to decide what to do with that money. The W plus label, and this is one of the reasons that I'm so high on it, it allows buyers of these units or buyers of credits that are labeled with W plus and investors in projects that apply the standard to have 100% confidence that benefits that are claimed to be happening or promised in the future do in fact happen. And that is something that has been largely missing and projects that are claiming to benefit women. So there aren't enough funders, decision makers, and developers who know about the W plus standard, and that's a challenge. Although its unique value has begun to be recognized slowly, there's an ongoing partnership between Vera, which is the largest carbon standard in the voluntary market. It can also be used in gold standard projects. It was recognized early on by the United Nations, which gave WOCAN the Momentum for Change Award for W plus and its application to a biogas project in Nepal that saved set over 7,000 women more than 2.2 hours each day and generated funds from the sale of these units for 12 local women's groups. Yannick Glamarek, formerly head of UN Women and now the head of the Green Climate Fund, had this to say about W+. The underlying methodology to quantify co-benefits offers significant opportunities to provide the transparency and accountability 
needed for the kind of transformational impacts the Green Climate Fund aims to achieve. So the GCF sees the value. And even very recently, the World Bank, in a request for proposals to buy carbon offsets for its internal operations, they stated their preference for carbon credits or certified emission reductions and other offsets that have additional environmental and social benefits. And they specifically stated that they prefer carbon credits that have applied certain carbon standards, including specifically the W+. I really like, Kathy how you talk about it and how you seem so passionate about it. And, and I hope this, this is shared also with, with our listeners. And as you say, it also answers this, this critical need for metrics to ensure the, the transparency and, and accountability of where funding uh, is going. Last year already, you were in, in New York uh, talking about the W plus at the meeting of the Commission on the Status of Women. And you said at that meeting what you said today, you know, that uh, climate projects are not going far enough in supporting women and more needs to be done. So as we conclude this conversation, what would be your call for action today? My call to action, and I say this with the current situation in mind, um, I think we each can do something and have to do something, whether it's encourage a funder or decision maker to think a certain way, or whether it's to do something very personal. I've come up with five points, and I'm sure there are many more, but I'd like to just put those out there and say to funders and decision makers, Number one, to make this recovery lasting and equitable, we have to think for the long term, even as we focus on the immediate and the short term. Number two, adopt a climate lens when devising recovery strategies. That means the impact of any proposed policy or program or project should be analyzed in terms of its impact on climate. Number three, adopt a gender lens when devising recovery strategies or making funding decisions. We know that gender equities make outbreaks worse, so the impact of any proposed policy ought to be analyzed in terms of its impact on gender. Number four, make sure women are at the tables where recovery strategies and funding decisions are being devised. Equity issues are only meaningfully integrated into responses when women and other marginalized groups are at the table. So in many places, that's just not happening in this recovery. The White House Coronavirus Task Force is 90% men. The task force set up by Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the UK to respond to COVID is 100% men. We need to change that. And lastly, Decision makers and funders need to be measuring the impacts of recovery programs in real time. They need to measure the impact of policies on climate and on women, and they need to do it in a way that's transparent. One way to do that, and I would ask everybody to bring the W plus to the attention of people 
in your circles who are interested in climate and interested in women. I, I would also say that every individual can help by buying W plus units. You can go to the W plus website and it will tell you how you can buy these units. So the more that we all do this, the more that we can help to spread the word. And I think that's a very important thing that we can each individual do that will help. Perfect. The message is out. Thank you very much, Kathy. You're welcome. You've been listening to Wokan Podcast, 10 Solutions for a Feminist Climate Resilient Recovery. If you want to know more about Wokan's activities, please go to www.wokan.org. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.